0: If not, no worries. We still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo, all free, for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Yeah, I. so I'll start this off by saying some great feedback that I received and we received is they wanted more of an introduction. For each of us, which we did last time. Oh. But I think I edited it out. So I'm sorry about that. So I'm going to start this off by apologize. What does that mean for an introduction? <laughs> I think it's just saying, hi, my name is... <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, like, hi, my name's Jeremy Kirkland. <laughs> hi, my name's Jericho.
1: <laughs> Yo, this is Rob. What's up?
0: There you go. There's your introduction, folks. <laughs> I don't know who's going to listen to this and be like... Gee, I just turned it on. Had no idea what I was getting into. I know. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, you well, know I'm we I'm very ones. keen on feedback. It would, when people listen and they have feedback, I'm very, very keen on hearing feedback. I've some listeners have um, emailed me. Oh, and, and? Um, mailbag already. Let's go. I'm interested in. Mm. Well, no, it's it's always been positive feedback, but um, well, it's always been yeah, like a, a positive response. But I'm interested in hearing what works and what doesn't work. Um, so if when people listen, um, if they have that kind of feedback, I'm very interested in knowing what they think works or doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always been in the mindset of especially these are purposely inside baseball, and there's, you know, it, it's it's a little bit more nitty gritty in terms of of the details and stuff that we talk about versus in my head, I think of like you know, regular capital B blamo is like very wide and trying to be as accessible and stuff as possible versus like this is this is it, man. You're in it. So like I d I don't know uh
2: I appreciate all the feedback. <laughs> my cat's that. also doing an introduction. Yeah, right, your cat yeah. is doing an introduction. Like, my cat has what, what That has to stay name? on. That's my my cat's name's Clove, so or Clovey. I call it Clovey, but her her official name, her birth name is Clove, her government name is Clove. <laughs> so she she has announced herself as hi, I'm Clove.
0: That has to stay on the recording 100%. no matter what. Uh Amar, yeah. if you're editing this, please leave it in. Um but anyway, I'm glad I'm glad we're all here. It's been a while and uh we're diving deep talking about shoes. First off, yeah. Rob, did you read this New Yorker multi this uh this freaking Dickensian letter about British footwear. Wait, are you talking about uh, <laughs> Derek's thing? Yeah, I'm talking about soul, soul Survivors. How the internet oh, yeah. is saving bespoke shoemaking. I mean, it, I think uh, it didn't. It
1: wasn't squalid enough t- for me to classify as Dickensian, but it was pretty <laughs> epic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, we talked about this before, derek But like, how much thought, research, and time do you put into some of these?
2: Quite a bit it takes a while. Um, I've I increasingly do not want to write about brands, and um, which is it makes it awkward because sometimes like a brand that I like will all, even reach out to me, and um, I just don't want to write about the inspiration for a collection or um, I don't know how something was put together or like the history of a brand, um, and I don't like writing just like how. To you know, put together like an outfit. Um, I don't mm-hmm. like doing quality reviews, like a product review. I haven't, I haven't, written a product review in like many, many years. So it takes me a while to think of like an angle, essentially. So when I was researching this, um, um you know, it somewhat started with that finding that um, note about Karl Marx in Peel's archives. And yep. then looking at the number of shoemakers uh, in London at the time. Um, and then just kind of finding out how many shoemakers used to be in London um, right before Marx, Karl Marx ordered his bespoke shoes, um, which I think was in like almost 29,000 shoemakers um, uh, in, in London around the 1840s. And then that consolidated and, um, you know, just kind of going through the history of the changes in the bespoke shoe trade. And then also my personal experiences with both large and small companies um doing bespoke shoes and interviewing um various outworkers and shoemakers, some who decide, you know, wanted to speak off the record. Um, but that was also how I was able to get some information about pay rates and and things like that, which is hmm. was shocking to me. Shocking to me how little shoemakers get paid i mean these are people who are making bespoke shoes for like king charles you know, right we're talking like really high up there um and at the moment um there are two major firms left really um lob and cleverly <clears throat> foster is actually still holding trunk shows um but their operation is a little unclear to me and uh, you know for outworkers, you're getting paid anywhere from 350 pounds to around 450 pounds, depending you, on the shoe and the firm.
0: Can you define an outworker real quick? I know you just you discussed this in the article, but just for folks.
2: Yeah, this is a, this is a fascinating thing. To, the more I looked into this, the more I think about there should be more honest writing about. Labor issues in the highest end of menswear. So this mm-hmm. this came up many 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 years ago for me when I was interviewing um, Edinger, who also uses outworkers. In mm-hmm. in England in general, you have a lot of people who work on an outworker system, which means that they a, f- a factory or a workshop will send things out to people who essentially work at home so for leather goods they might do some of the sewing at home Um, for uh, bespoke shoemaking the last is usually created in-house meaning the um, the wooden form that is the kind of you know how the the shape that creates the shape of the shoe that will be created in-house usually on site for the operation but it's common for the bottom making to be sent to someone who does not work on premise, not only do some of the artworkers not work on premise, they may not even work in England. So some outworkers, for example, are located in Italy and Japan, and a British shoe making company can send the work to these outworkers to have you know they'll send essentially the last and uh, the cut pieces for the pattern the um, for the pieces of the shoe, and then the bottom maker will essentially stitch it together. And this is actually happening um, in tailoring as well. Um, there's yeah, uh, for sure. an American American um, cutter who had his... So in, in bespoke tailoring, th- there are, broadly speaking, two major roles. There's the cutter and there's the tailor. Um, people think of the tailor as like the person who cuts the pattern. And that's not correct. The, the cutter is the person who drafts and cuts your pattern and then that that wool or the cotton or the linen or whatever is bundled into like a roll and then it's given to a tailor and a tailor can be a coat maker or they can be a trouser maker. And that person stitches things together. And an American cutter reached out to me some years ago after his, um, his tailor died um, because of, I think COVID actually related. And he was looking for a new tailor and there are, there are not many tailors left in the U S and you cannot hire someone who works at, for example, like a suit factory, because working on an assembly line at a suit factory is not the same as um, being a coat maker or trouser maker. So he was looking for someone to do this in Italy, and he was wondering if I knew any tailors in, mm. in Italy. Um, so the that that kind of when you think of the outworker system um, as it's happening now, there are two things that come to mind. One is that um, the outworker system, I should say, is not is not exclusive to Britain. In Italy, outworkers are, I think, even more common. Yeah, um, very common. Many, many like p- people who are stitching like buttonholes or doing like top stitching for like the pick stitching of lapels. Often that is all done by outworkers, like basically women at home. And there are two things that come to mind when I think of that worker system. Is one is that it is sometimes a way for a company to not pay benefits. I recently, um, I recently sat down with uh, the head pattern maker at a major American suit company, and I'm working on a story about what is the difference between like a $500 suit and a $1,500 suit, and let's say a $3,000 suit, and he made this Excel sheet, it's a very stylized Excel sheet. Um, oh, wow. you know there are 180 operations that go into making a suit. So at every operation there are ways to cut costs. but we made this stylized ex- Excel sheet that allowed me to play with the numbers to see, okay, if I can lower the fabric costs from30 dollars per meter to 20 dollars per meter, what is the retail price you know for that suit? And what you see is that um, on this Excel sheet, benefits ad- add a lot to the cost. So
0: and payroll um, taxes, healthcare, stuff I assume.
2: Payroll taxes, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But if you are located in a different country, um, you know, these, these rules, essentially, these labor rules, these, these benefits can not only vary by city, but they vary by country. And then, if you're working as if you have outworkers, you're saving a lot of that money, you know. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you can dramatically shave that cost, and that kind of to me makes me think about labor rights and what what is a fair wage for a garment worker. Because I mean, tailor is essentially a garment worker. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind when I think of this modern outworker system is that. If you think that an American cutter is looking for a tailor in Italy and that bespoke shoemakers in Britain are looking for bottom makers in Japan and Italy, that alone gives you a sense of how few people there are left in the world that do this kind of work. If a cutter in America can't even find a single tailor in America to put together a bundle of cloth to make a bespoke garment... And uh, you know there are bottom makers um, in England. Often, I would note that the pay rate is so low that many of the outworkers who work for these London firms cannot afford to live in London. Um, so they live a bit away. Um, you know, if if there are so few outworkers that they then have to send the work to Italy and Japan, that tells you how how few people there are left. Um, mm. Which is also a conundrum because if you think there are such there are such few people left with the skill you'd think that the the wage would go up just by demand um but no it's it's the the pay is downright victorian if you most mm. people listening to this are probably american so um 350 pounds uh, i, I I think it's around like four hundred and twenty-three dollars now, uh, given the it's, current exchange rate. And then if it's you divide that by the number of
0: hours as of as of this recording. Right? I just I just Google it while we we're talking. Okay.
2: <laughs> nice. Okay, so four thirty-five. the bottom maker is getting paid four hundred and thirty-five dollars to make a pair of bespoke shoes. Obviously the bottom maker is not the only person involved in selling the pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. There is the last maker, there's the closer, the closer is the person who like cuts the pattern, and then there's you know, the salespeople, there's the shop and all that. But $435 for 35 hours of work to put together a pair of shoes, that's essentially below California's minimum wage. It works out to be around like 12 or $14 per hour. There's a caveat here in that, um, you know, I'm just quoting the numbers that yeah. Workers gave me they told me you know yeah. to make a make a pair of shoes if you were to give me a, a bundle of leather it takes me about 30 35 hours to make a pair of bespoke shoes to like the level of quality that you'd expect however if i have um let's say um you know 10 pairs of shoes that i'm supposed to make there is some efficiency gained from laying out all of the leather and then skiving all of the leather, leather at the same time. Because if they have to change operations, uh, you know, let's say they're sewing the upper. Well, you know, if you're sewing the upper, you're sitting down at the sewing machine, you got to think, okay, well, how do I set this up? And, you know, like, you know, you're kind of going through the motions. But if you're doing 10 pairs of shoes at a time, there's some efficiency gain that you've already set up the machine. And you're just like running through them. So the 30, 35 per hour, estimate is really just if like you gave them one bundle of leather and you said, make a pair of bespoke shoes. But if you gave them 10 bundles, that number will go down a little bit. The problem is that um, I say this from direct experience having ordered bespoke shoes from one of the large Western firms and then also seeing friends and also other people order bespoke shoes is that in order to make a living, it seems to me that many outworkers workers are just pushing out bad work, because if you're only getting paid $435 for a pair of shoes, let's say it, it takes you 35 hours on like a gold standard kind of you know kind of uh, uh, process, mm-hmm. you might be able to cut that down to, I don't know, like 25 hours if you gain some efficiency from laying out these 10 bundles. But if you have to like push it down even further... At some point, you're cutting corners, and that may be skiving the leathering correctly. Um, that may be lowering the number of stitches per inch on, you know, the kind of inseam. Um, it it can involve all sorts of shortcuts, which then leads to a lot of the bad work that I've I've experienced and have seen come out of large houses. Um, so that was that. I mean, that's a long way to kind of you know answer your question. Is that um, I started I started with. Noticing that Karl Marx ordered a pair of bespoke shoes, which is very odd, you know, like that's not you wouldn't think that Karl Marx would have a pair of bespoke shoes. And then looking into is that odd for you know the father of communism to have a pair of bespoke shoes? And, and it's not <laughs> to a certain extent because sure, um, uh, a lot of intellectuals um, at that time would have bought bespoke shoes because ready to wear was not as common as it is today. That was just how you bought a pair of good shoes. And, um, and over time, the industry has shrunk, and the, there are fewer number of workers, and now there are so few workers and such poor pay rates, uh, in my opinion. That's why you're seeing a lot of bad work come out of these large firms. And why I think the point of this two-part series was to say, and I think the independents are doing good work. Um, not to say that all bespoke houses are bad. It's just that um, I think the the independents are often doing better work than the large heritage firms.
1: Oh yeah. Um, so what struck me about the way you broke this down is um, how much this idea of outworking kind of mirrors the per piece compensation, which is sort of at the heart of sort of the fast fashion and like all the challenges we see out of that, because it like creates the wrong yeah. incentives. Right. And it becomes a, I mean, I think in fast fashion, it's like a deliberate sort of lack of governance, mm. but um, you know, in the fancier version of, you know, what you're talking about, it's, you know, how are these outworkers being held accountable for the quality of the work, right? And not to spoil too much about when you talk about the independent brands, but I think there's like more incentives to, um, you know, to stand behind what uh, you deliver. So it was just kind of interesting, this sort of like separation of uh, the people who stand to make money and then
0: the laborers, which is, you know, very Karl Marx kind of, dilemma right mm-hmm. i i think the biggest thing that's that's the most like, uh, kind of frustrating for me going through this is want to hear the rest listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our patreon visit patreon.com forward slash blammo to sign up and join the blam fam you also get access to our exclusive members-only Slack group, where we chat about this and a ton of other things. So head over to patreon.com forward slash blamo and we'll see you there.